Life in our modern age comes at you pretty fast, which makes our time away especially valuable. When I take time to relax, I like to get far from my everyday life, immerse myself in natural beauty, and have unique experiences. But you don't have to leave the U.S. to experience tropical rainforests and islands filled with adventure, warm culture, and national treasures. Visit Puerto Rico, an island with a vibrant spirit that will sweep you away. Because when you visit, you don't become part of the island, it becomes part of you. In Puerto Rico, you can forget where you came from and embrace where you are. Puerto Rico, where visits end, but stories last forever. No passport required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. Today's episode is brought to you by West Holm. We all know from home cooks to restaurant chefs to eating enthusiasts that the quality of your ingredients makes all the difference, especially when it comes to meat. West Holm, which is based in Queensland in the Northern Territory, Australia, is working with the land to create nature-led Australian Wagyu. They steward 16 million acres of rangeland, guided by the natural ecosystem where their cattle thrive. The result is high-quality Wagyu beef that reflects the terroir of Northern Australia and a flavor suited to complement any cuisine. West Holm believes that when nature leads, flavor follows. Learn more at westholm.com slash savor. That's W-E-S-T-H-O-L-M-E dot com slash saver. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Before AI can help your business predict demand, accelerate growth, inform decisions, automate tasks, reveal insights, generate content, you have to trust it. Introducing WatsonX Governance. Helping you govern any AI as data, models, and policies change so you can scale it responsibly. Let's create AI that begins with trust with Watson X Governance. Learn more at ibm.com slash governance. IBM. Let's create. Hello and welcome to Saver Production of iHeartRadio. I'm Annie Reese. And I'm Lauren Vogelbaum. And today we have an episode for you about duck. <laughs> yes. I love the word duck. It's I always a- wanted to get a pet and named it, whatever animal it was, I always wanted to get a pet and name it duck, but it never okay. happened for me. <laughs> I mean, it's a good word. It's got that, it's got that hard, uh, yeah. hard consonant at the end there. <laughs> All right, we can move on. Um, I love duck. I love duck, but it is hard for me now not to think of that speech from Hannibal, the show, about cooking duck, and I I won't describe it, but you can oh. probably imagine what happens in it. Oh, oh, um, I, I I don't remember that one, but goodness, I, I I can indeed imagine. Yes, I mean it was one of those scenes where he was going into depth of kind of the gruesomeness of cooking duck and and showing graphics of like, is this a human or a duck? Uh, don't know that kind of vibe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that plays in my head a lot when I eat it. <laughs> um, <laughs> Yes. But I, it also makes me think of Christmas and having and loving Peking duck in China. Um, but I've also had it in amazing Mexican dishes and French dishes, kind of all over the place. Duck fat fries. Oh, yeah. 
Mm. Oh, mm-hmm. goodness. The the last time that we bought a whole duck to cook at home, um, <laughs> we we rigged up this cold station um, with a tray of ice and a box fan to do like a like a rapid dry age, um, because what you want to do is you want to dry down the skin so it will crisp up well when you when you cook it. Um, mm-hmm. And I cannot recommend trying this at home, but man, it worked. And that duck was delicious, and none of us got food poisoning. So, success <laughs> wins all around. <laughs> I love this. Very, very creative. <laughs> no food poisoning is always good. Um, I have never even attempted to make duck on any occasion, any time. But you know, oh. maybe the future, yeah, lays before me. It's not. It's, not, it's really not difficult. I mean, you know, like a, you know, something like. Like a confit will will take a little bit of preparation and 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 elbow grease and actual grease, um, but uh, but yeah, just just cooking up a duck breast. Like you can if 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 you get a good quality one, you can just cook it like you would a steak and a like a get a nice sear on it, and like a cast iron. Oh, it's so mm. good. That does sound good. Well, hard pivot, but um, <laughs> <laughs> I love this fact. I don't know. It's such a weird thing, but in. Luke Skywalker mentions duck <laughs> in what? the novelization of A New Hope. What? Um, which is one of those funny things. I think he also mentions a dog, and it's one of those things of like, huh, galaxy far, far away, duck. Okay. <laughs> um, that he he's never seen one, and he wants to see one, and now it is a running joke in fan fiction that I adore uh, when Luke finally gets wow. to see a duck. And usually the duck is... Not very happy. Not as happy to see Luke as Luke oh, to see. Oh, sure, duck. sure. For 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 comedy's sake, yeah, yeah. Um. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear, I, I I love it. I adore it. <laughs> uh, yeah, I I have known a number of very cranky ducks in my life. Um, yeah, and I think we're gonna do like a brief, you know, cartoon character duck aside, but they're usually pretty cranky ducks. Yeah, well, I, you know, we, we, we've we talked about birds and our opinions about them before on this show. Your opinions about I, them. <laughs> you also have some bird opinions. They're just not as strong as mine. I, True. <laughs> I maintain that birds are dinosaurs with wings, and that makes them terrifying because they want to eat your eyeballs and they can reach your eyeballs. And I don't, I don't like that. It's, I I understand you. I understand this fear. I think that's I, legitimate. <laughs> um, however, um, I uh, super producer Andrew loves birds, and mm-hmm. uh, and through our travels together, uh, I have grown to better appreciate the beauty of birds. Um, <laughs> I'm a little bit less upset about them than I used to be. Uh, that's good. But I will say that part of my part of my reticence to accept <laughs> birds into my life um, was growing up in South Florida. There were a whole lot of really weird looking ducks <laughs> everywhere, <laughs> everywhere, like living in all of the canals and ponds that we had around and um, just 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 big cranky like black and white mottled ducks with these with these weird like red wattles and uh-huh and just they and they looked they looked like like walking angry radiation ducks like they 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 looked 
like cancer Maybe ducks. They were. <laughs> and I was I was like, oh man, they've been in those canals. I don't know what's in there with them. Like mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so so this is my and, and they would they would chase you. Like if you if you, they decided that you were somewhere you should not be, they would chase you off. <laughs> I mean, yeah. They they can be intimidating. I do love how <laughs> we're really delving into your psyche around birds right at the top here. <laughs> this is an intervention. Um, <laughs> I think you're okay, Lauren. <laughs> oh, oh, thank you. I do I do feel like I'm in a safe place now. <laughs> Good. That makes me happy to hear. <laughs> Um, well, I mean, you can always just think of the turducken, the turducken, Lauren. Um, yeah, yeah. Yes, and you can see our, we talked about it briefly in our turkey episode, uh-huh. I think. Yep. So, yep. you can go check that out if you want to learn more about that. You can. Um, you can. Yes, yes. And- <laughs> <laughs> I, sorry, I look, I, it's not my fault, okay? <laughs> No, no, it's not your fault. Not your fault. I mean, think about it this way. You are a podcaster now discussing duck. Who is one in this equation? Oh, I'm not sure. But maybe it was you. <laughs> I actually, I I can't. I mean, those those ducks seemed real smug about it, to be mm-hmm. honest. Mm-hmm. Yeah, now you're talking about them on a podcast, so maybe they did win. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Um <laughs> I think uh, we should get to our question. Yeah, I'm not sure if this brings us to our question, but I think it's time. <laughs> I think it's time. Um, duck. <laughs> what is it? Oh, well, uh, ducks are a type of bird um, used culinarily um, and also kept for the eggs that they lay. Uh, ducks can be wild caught or they can be raised. Uh, they like living near bodies of water. Um, a lot of their natural diet would come from aquatic uh, life, uh, plants and and animals. A lot of invertebrates involved in there. Um, of course, right? Yeah, they they can they can be raised too um, in flocks of various sizes. And ducklings do grow pretty fast. You can raise up ducks from hatchlings to slaughter weight in like two to four months, which is about twice as long as chickens, but but much shorter than, you know, like mammals. Um, three breeds of ducks are commonly used for cooking. Um, smaller, mild Pekin ducks, also called uh, Long Island ducks. Um, and these are a bred variety of wild mallards. Then you've got the uh, larger, gamey Muscovy duck, uh, which is a different species. And then Moulard, or Moulard, which is an infertile cross between those first two types and are uh, are the type grown for foie gras production. And all three look and behave a little bit differently. Uh, wild mallards are migratory. Uh, their ma- mallards are the ones where the, the, the drakes or males have green feathers on their heads um, and gray and brown bodies, and the females are speckled brown, though any number of varieties have been bred from wild mallards. Um, Pekin tend to have uh, creamy white feathers and the bright orange feet and beaks. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Muscovy are the type that I grew up with in South Florida. Um, They're black and white and have these red wattles in both the males and females. Um, Different breeds of mallards are used for egg production. And 
if ducks are allowed to swim using using their legs, um, those muscles are more developed than you would usually see in land-based poultry. And if they're allowed to fly, they'll also develop their breast muscles um, uh, more than you would see in chickens or turkeys. Duck meat and eggs and fat are used in all kinds of ways in different cultures around the world. Um, the flavor of the meat and fat tends to be stronger than most chicken you can get. It's a gamier and, a, and, and can be richer. The meat tends to be darker than chicken meat. Uh, it depends on the breed and the specific animal in question. But duck meat tends to range in color from uh, pink like pork to deep red like beef. It's still technically classified as a white meat as it is a poultry. Um, huh. But culinarily, it tends to be classified as a red meat. I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, I think I would say red meat, but I also don't know. Yeah. It's not my area of expertise. I have no no clout. Yeah, in this yeah. Arena. There's some there's some semantics involved. Uh, mm. duck can be roasted or smoked or stewed whole as you would other birds or butchered to separate the breasts and the legs and thighs. Um, the breasts can be cooked medium rare, right? Basically just heated through and seared like you would a steak. The legs and thighs are a little tougher and tend to be cooked low and slow, uh, braised or poached as in confit, which is a dish in which meat is poached in fat. Uh, duck meat can also be made into sausages or cured and dried like you would prosciutto. The bones can be simmered for stock. The whole animal can be used. Um, speaking of soup and stock, I ran across a recipe for duck borscht while I was doing my reading. It all comes back to borscht. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> I actually have been seeing a lot of recipes for borscht lately, too, and I know it's because I researched it and Google's like, here, all it's these like things. <laughs> Interesting. All right. <laughs> right? Oh, yeah. I was like, oh, no. I don't think I don't think that's the kind of borscht I want to make, but I was very fascinated. Mm -hmm. Anyway, um, uh, but like I said, the whole animal can be used uh, like the organs. Uh, pate and other dishes made from blended duck liver are considered delicacies, or the fattened livers can be used whole um, or, or sliced and often sliced and pan-fried, as in foie gras. Um, the whole heads are sometimes pan-fried and served as a delicacy. The gizzard and heart are also eaten. Um, the skin can be fried up separately for a crunchy garnish or a snack. The eggs, duck eggs, tend to be a bit larger than chicken eggs, like half again as large maybe, with a thicker shell and a larger percentage of yolk versus white, and are therefore a little bit fattier and richer tasting. As with any eggs, though, the, the, the diet of the bird that you get your eggs from really determines the flavor and texture and nutritional content you can use them pretty much like you would chicken eggs, um, though if you're subbing them in for chicken eggs in a baked goods recipe, um, mind that extra yolk content and probably try to either measure them by volume or weight to make sure that you've got about the same amount that the recipe calls for because chicken eggs are round about like three tablespoons or one and a half ounces in volume and duck eggs, yeah, are going to be a little bit bigger, a little bit bigger. Mm -hmm. um, duck fat. Uh can be used as a frying or sautéing or baking oil, and when it is, it imparts some of duck's gamey flavor into whatever it is that you're making. So, yeah, it's pretty posh to use duck fat in otherwise non-duck dishes, like french fries or biscuits. If you buy whole duck, you can render fat, the fat out yourself, or you can find it at uh, butchers or specialty shops or online. Oh, so tasty. So good. Mm -hmm. So good. Uh, but speaking of, <laughs> what about the nutrition? Well, uh, duck is a good source of protein. 
has a good smattering of minerals and vitamins. Uh, Pekin ducks are the fattiest. Duck will help fill you up and keep you going. Eat a vegetable. Always. Duck fat does contain less saturated fats than many other animal fats. Um, Like, uh, it's less saturated fat than, like, butter or pork lard or something like that. But it is still higher in saturated fats than most plant-based fats, like olive oil. Uh, And... I read I read this one paper about it was like it was like, well, duck is this great source of protein and these nutrients, but we it's a little bit expensive and like we can't get people who aren't familiar with it to eat it. So what if we make like a surimi type product out of duck and get it to people like that? And I was fascinated by this. Yeah. Because (laughs) Because it's like, I don't know, it's it's like suggesting that somebody make like a like a steak or like an oxtail surimi. I was like, what are you talking about? But I, but, <laughs> but sure. Yeah. However, however you can get good nutrition to people, I'm into. Yes, absolutely. Um, we do have some numbers for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, the value of the global industry for duck meat is growing and is expected to reach $11.23 billion per year over the next couple of years. Mm -hmm. World production of ducks nearly doubled in the decade between 1993 and 2003. Nanjing, China, where duck is an iconic dish, is estimated to go through 200 million ducks a year. And there's apparently even a saying there, without duck, there is no feast. Huh. Yeah. I've read (laughs) read it was 30 million, but either way, that's like a lot of ducks. It is Quite a lot of ducks. (laughs) A number of ducks, yes. Uh, (laughs) Speaking of numbers of ducks, as of 2016, there were some 1.24 billion uh, mallard breed ducks being kept around the world. And about 1.1 billion, or 89% of them, being kept in Asia. Um, Asia supplies over 84% of the world's duck meat. And of that, some 81% comes from China. In (laughs) Europe... Uh, Meanwhile, France is by far the biggest producer. And um, I've read that in the southwestern region of Gascony, ducks outnumber people 20 to 1. Now, see, that sounds like you're hell on earth, Lauren. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds like a living nightmare for you. (laughs) They're everywhere. (laughs) You just wake up and they're all outside your house watching. Mm. (laughs) Very specific oh, no. horror movie for you. Oh, geez. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Tis the season. <laughs> oh, goodness. Um, meanwhile, back, back around China and Southeast Asia, apparently some uh, 10 to 30% of the eggs consumed are duck eggs. Oh, yeah. I believe I had some duck eggs in China. Mm-hmm. Um, I tried to get to the bottom of a lot of Ducks have a lot of offshoots, which I find interesting. <laughs> Culturally speaking, yeah, yeah. Yes. So I try. I went on like a brief rabbit hole about um, all those carvings people have of like mallard ducks and yeah. paintings. When did that uh-huh. become in vogue? I didn't really find a good answer. I also tried to get to the bottom of the game Duck, Duck, Goose, but mostly what I discovered is that it may have originated in Sweden. And Minnesota is the only state to play duck, duck, gray duck. And they are very proud of it. (laughs) (laughs) They do not like you saying anything derogatory about duck, duck, gray duck. 
Uh, I I've never heard of this variation. I love it. Me either. Yeah, I would love to hear from listeners about this. (laughs) Is it? I assume it's played the same way as Duck Duck Goose. Yes, and there are a surprising amount of uh, mostly local articles being like, "Yes, we play Duck Duck Gray Duck, and we're proud." Oh, great! And usually they went into the history, but I don't. Nothing of it stood out to uh-huh. me. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, oh, okay, you decided to go this route. Cool. <laughs> but again, I don't want to offend anybody. I'm <laughs> very proud of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, let us let us know if you have specific experience with Duck, Duck, Gray Duck. Yes. I do really like it, honestly. Um, but, all right, in the meantime, we have a lot of interesting history to go through. Oh, we do. Uh, but first, we're going to get into a quick break for a word from our sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Westholm. I'm a person who doesn't really cook with a lot of meat, to be honest, because when I do, I want it to be special. I'm the same, and I do love sharing that food with people. And I have to say, we received some product, some steak, (laughs) Mm -hmm. and I am very eager to share it with my friends. (laughs) Yeah, uh, West Home sent us uh, a few of their products, and they included these gorgeous, gigantic tomahawk steaks that I, like, opened the box and immediately sent a picture to my best grilling friend, like, hang out soon. (laughs) Yes, I did too. Westholm offers these beautifully marbled steaks because they have 16 million acres of rangeland across the northeast corner of Australia, from Brisbane to Darwin. They use a nature-led approach with the belief that if they balance the needs of their cattle with the needs of their environment, both can thrive. Their cattle graze on native grasses like Mitchell grass, which is found only in Australia, and roam wild, foraging at will for the first two to three years of their lives. The result is Wagyu beef that reflects the terroir of northern Australia and a quality that would complement whatever you're into cooking right now. Westholm believes that when nature leads, flavor follows. Learn more at westholm.com slash savor. That's W-E-S-T-H-O-L-M-E dot com slash savor. Today's episode is brought to you by Discover Puerto Rico. We've talked in a bunch of different episodes about facets of Puerto Rican cuisine, um, like the dish mofongo, made of savory, deep-fried mashed plantains studded with some kind of tasty protein, and the creation of the cool, creamy piña colada. But there is so much more there. Um, I've actually never been. You have a tiny bit of experience, don't you? Yes. Unfortunately, it was a very tiny bit of experience. Mm-hmm. I was there for about a day. I'm kicking myself for that now. I remember having delicious rums, delicious drinks, but I want to go back because, yeah, so many episodes we do on here, when we're talking about food from Puerto Rico, I want that. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> it sounds amazing. We're trying to get a saver team trip yeah. together. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> well, I mean, we're, we're trying to get a trip to a lot of places, but this is yeah. this is really top of the list. Even putting together this ad read made me hungry. I was like, oh, oh, I want to try those things. Yeah, as we've talked about before, there are influences there from African and Spanish and native Taino foodways. The culinary scene sounds amazing, and we want to go, and I'm hungry. No me passport too. is required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. You can learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. If your business needs a new application, then developers will have to write code, a lot of code. If an application needs to be modernized, then you'll need time, resources, and caffeine. 
If that sounds daunting, then you need Watson X Code Assistant, AI designed to multiply developer productivity so you can generate code quickly. Let's create a more modern foundation for business with Watson X Code Assistant. Learn more at ibm.com slash codeassistant. IBM. Let's create. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Yes, thank you. Okay, so ducks are thought to have originated in Asia thousands of years ago um, and were being kept in southeastern China somewhere between 200 BCE to 200 CE. So, uh, <laughs> a little bit of a range, but that's okay. Yeah, yeah. The first written records about domesticated duck date back to 475 to 221 BCE. So, I don't know. Um, <laughs> other sources argue ducks were domesticated much earlier perhaps 3,000 years ago in China, excavated Chinese pottery from 2,500 BCE were decorated with illustrations of ducks and geese, which doesn't necessarily mean they were domesticated, but could, it could. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and this is where, this is the area where uh, mallards and the variety known as Pekin came from. Yes. Um, the ancient Romans and Greeks may have also domesticated ducks, but it certainly was not the norm. I loved reading like these old timey <laughs> sources I found that were kind of judgmental, like that weirdos keep the ducks. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, uh, the Romans did keep wild ducks likely to eat. Um, ducks first appeared in the ancient Roman record in 37 BCE, and then in the first century CE, an agricultural writer advised on how to care for ducks, um, which he believed, he thought ducks were much more difficult than something like chickens. So I think that's kind of why people thought it was weird. They're like, you could just do this. You could just do chickens. <laughs> why are you messing with these ducks? Yeah. Yes. Hmm. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, certain species of duck probably originated in the Americas. Some historians theorize that indigenous peoples of Central America may have actually domesticated duck before the Chinese did. Huh. Yes. And in fact, different species of duck might be native to most continents. Ah! <laughs> yeah, yeah. M m most of them, um, I mean, because mallards are migratory, they wound up getting around to a lot of different places and then uh, settling in and, uh, you know, self-creating new varieties and then, right, being domesticated into and, and, and further specialized. Uh, Muscovy are thought to be from the Americas, though, and, yeah, are different, a li little bit bigger, a little bit stockier. <laughs> yes, yes. Mm -hmm. The Chinese started eating roasted and glazed duck in the 10th century, or at least by the 10th century. In 1275, roast duck was mentioned in a depiction of life in Hangzhou, um, and vendors would sell roast duck door-to-door, -door, and it was well-known in Nanjing. 
the first capital of the Ming Dynasty. So the dish didn't make its way to Beijing until after 1420 when the Yangle emperor relocated the capital to Beijing. And so desired was duck meat that the Chinese went about domesticating the mallard duck and from that bred a meteor white feathered duck that, yes, they named the Peking duck. Um, this is the duck used for making the world famous Peking duck, <laughs> which, yes, named for the city. Um, though at first it was called Jinling duck, Jinling being an old name for Nanjing. Huh. Getting the skin crispy, like you kind of talked about, Lauren, while mm-hmm. keeping the meat moist was important to the chefs and cooks perfecting this dish. And there was a lot about how they, they went about managing that or trying to succeed in that regard. Yeah, I read a lot about that and various other famous duck dishes. And at a certain point was kind of like, oh, I don't know. We we have to do another 29 episodes. <laughs> <laughs> it was they, they went into great detail and still do. Um, yeah. Yes, 29 episodes sounds about right. <laughs> Uh, So at this time in Beijing, people would roast duck on a large metal fork over a fire while in Nanjing. They would roast several at a time in an enclosed oven. Sometime during the Ming Dynasty, which was the 1360s to 1640s, a shop in Beijing became known for its quality of roast duck. And this duck was cooked in these enclosed ovens. So... In the following centuries, Peking duck skyrocketed in popularity, though it was still fairly relegated to royalty and the wealthy. Mm -hmm. During this time, chefs in Beijing pivoted to using standing ovens, allowing them to cook the ducks to order one at a time. And this method is still in use today and was perhaps perfected due to the preference of roasted meats within the Qing imperial family. Records indicate that the Qinlong Emperor ate roast duck eight times within two weeks. And I calculated that. I was like, I guess that is a lot. <laughs> it's, it's not not a lot, but also, yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I would do that if I could. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I just thought that was interesting. I mean, I'm sure like at the time that was like, <gasps> it was like, oh, the extravagance. Yes. Sure. Yes. And and the time being 1761 when that was recorded. Hmm. One time, chicken and duck seller Yang Quan Ren is often credited with introducing roast duck at large to the Beijing public towards the end of the 19th century. He opened a restaurant in 1864, hiring a bunch of former Imperial Palace chefs on the staff. Their delicious roast duck quickly caught the attention of the well-off in the city. Uh, And you can still get Peking duck from this restaurant to this day, or at least that's what a quick... Google search says it's still open. Um, Surviving war, invasion, revolution, and I guess now a pandemic. Goodness. Um, Right? Right? Moving over to Europe, records show that ducks still weren't nearly as popular as chickens or geese in 10th century France. Uh, They may not have been domesticated until medieval times in Europe. They started appearing in the archaeological record in the 16th century, and the remains increased in the 18th and 19th centuries. So fascinating that <laughs> somebody looked into this. Oh yeah, 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 and also just right, right the different the different things that people consider to be like food and not food, and how right. that develops over the years. Sure. Mm-hmm. Colonizers and the trade of enslaved peoples introduced more varieties of ducks to the Americas, the Caribbean, and Africa in the 15 and 1600s. 
when they first arrived to the Americas, um, some people wrote in amazement about the number of ducks in the sky. Like, the sky was black with ducks or something like that. Um, And of their delicious flavor, including John Smith and Charles Dickens. Hannah Glass's 1747 book, The Art of Cookery, Plain and Easy, has several recipes for duck, including um, a la braise, a la mode, broiled the French way, (laughs) pie, and a few more. I love that. (laughs) Ducks are featured in many 19th century cookbooks, often as an essential dish at celebratory feast. Most people mark the beginning of the commercial duck industry in the U.S. in 1873 with the arrival of a handful of Peking ducks to New York. I think it was like 14 or something, maybe 17. Um, The ducks were then introduced to the nearby areas where the population exploded. Yeah, so much so that this is why they're sometimes called Long Island ducks here in, in the States because they mostly come from Long Island and there's just apparently... Has been historically since then, like all of these heckin' ducks. <laughs> I love the ducks. Just, they're, they're like, settle down, we'll settle down in Long Island. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be our place. Uh, raising and selling ducks had, and I, I'm sure still does have, pros and cons. Around this time, chickens and turkeys far surpassed duck as the most popular poultries in the Americas. But on the other hand, small farmers found success with them. Ducks foraged and ate different foods than other poultry, which was useful. Mm-hmm. And the feathers were useful for things like clothes and pillows. I, okay, <laughs> I read a story that I had oh. to include here. It doesn't have that much to do with food. Well, I, okay, okay, technically. So in 1911 in Nebraska, a whole gold rush was caused when a group of hunters were cleaning the ducks that they had caught and they found gold nuggets in the ducks' gizzards. Oh, what? (laughs) And they were like, there's gold around here. These ducks must have, like, eaten it accidentally when they were, uh, you know, picking insects out of the water. Um, But the source of the gold was never found. Where did the ducks get that gold? That sounds like a fairy tale or something. Right? (laughs) Anyway, this is a food show. Again, purportedly. Um, (laughs) Ducks, taking us all kinds of ways. Um, (laughs) The Migratory Bird Hunting and Conservation Stamp, or the U.S. Duck Stamp Program, which my dad was a big fan of. I didn't know about this, though. Was signed into law in 1934. It is the only conservation revenue stamp. 98% of profits goes to acquiring and protecting wetlands. Any waterfowl hunter over the age of 16 is required to buy them. The design is chosen through an annual contest, Recently featured on Last Week Tonight with John Oliver, and it was quite, quite, quite funny. Um, (laughs) You can look that up if you'd like to learn more. Mm -hmm. The first French recipe for something resembling duck à l'orange showed up in the 19th century. Duck recipes were fairly common throughout much of Europe by this time, and by the 1950s through the 1970s, duck à l'orange was a favorite at dinner parties across the United States. Rare-cooked duck, like in the beloved French dish Magrette de Canards, didn't appear in the written record until the 1950s. A French chef named André Dagwin attempted to, to cook it like a medium-rare steak. And the popular story goes that Dagwin was attempting to change the narrative around duck, that it was unsafe and less cooked until well done. So to do this, again, as the legend goes... Uh-huh. Um, 
His less than reputable plan was to serve blood red duck to patrons under the pretense it was rare beef. Oh. Yeah. Ah. <laughs> yeah, indeed. It worked, though, uh, thanks to a glowing <laughs> review of his duck in the New York Times penned by American journalist Robert Daly. This review in part led to a surge in popularity for duck cooked that way in the 1960s. Okay. Um, and then this one, this has to be a whole episode because I just got so lost and confused. But also presumably in the 1960s, packets of duck sauce started to become available in the United States. Um, and people who have looked into this, and people have looked into this, <laughs> um, there, there's just so much confusion around it. Because um, this sauce, some think originally came from the plum sauce served with Peking duck. Okay. And from there, things just get really wonky. In the Midwest and some of the eastern seaboard, duck sauce is usually this bright orange sweet and sour sauce. Mm -hmm. In New England, it's a chunky sweet brown sauce. Huh. Other parts of the country do not have duck sauce at all and might not even know what we're talking about. <laughs> huh. Yeah, it's got to be a future episode because it's like my brain was doing that nebula explosion oh, thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, mm -hmm. yeah. I I currently have packets of the of the orange, like the mm -hmm. the like radioactive again orange, yes. <laughs> kind of duck sauce somewhere in my home. Yes, I don't know I why do I've kept well. them. I do not. <laughs> I do not eat them. I know it's just one of those things where it's like. It just goes into that drawer that we all have. Uh -huh. Even if you know, you'll probably never touch it again. Nope. <laughs> just in case. Just in case. You know, you might need some duck sauce. It's true. You might have someone over and they might be really into it. There you and go. And then you'll be the coolest host <laughs> ever. <laughs> in the 1970s, Chinese premier Zhao Enlai served roast duck to President Nixon and Henry Kissinger, among other diplomats. The Nintendo game Duck Hunt debuted in 1984. Um, and very brief uh, cartoon aside, which, by the way, I forgot to look into the Ugly Duckling at all, but that's the thing that also exists. Um, <laughs> Donald Duck first appeared in print in 1931, Daffy Duck in 1937, DuckTales in 1987, and the new DuckTales series in 2017. I'm sure there are more cartoon ducks of note those were the ones that came to my mind. I did remember Howard the Duck uh, as we were talking about Luke thinking about ducks in a new hope, <laughs> sure. uh, which uh -huh. came yep. out in 1986. Okay. And has been featured recently in recent Marvel movies. Yes, yes, absolutely, which has been an absolute joy for me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I guess yes. I'll add to that culture note there that the Mighty Ducks film debuted in 1992. Oh, yes. I loved that movie when I was young. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I I, quack, quack, quacked at any number of people. <laughs> I forgot about that. You're right. <laughs> oh, and then there's that duck, the duck tourist bus thing. Oh, there's a lot of a lot of things about ducks in our culture. Like I said, this is so fascinating yeah. to me. Oh, gosh. And we didn't even look into rubber ducks. Oh, we didn't. Oh, now I want to know everything about rubber ducks. Okay, can't do it right now. Um, <laughs> um, Turducken was trademarked in 1986. And I had forgot, if we if we learned this last time, I forgot that 
Paul Prudhomme trademarked the turducken. Uh, he he was he was the the the, the Cajun chef. Um, he claimed to have invented it. That is debated. Uh, and right, right, we talked about it a bit in our turkey episode. Although, um, as, as we mentioned there, really, um, turducken is not even peak like putting <laughs> birds inside of other birds <laughs> when mm-hmm. you're serving them. That 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 was like the late 17, early 1800s. So yeah. People just went wild. <laughs> oh yeah! Oh <laughs> yeah! Mu- here. <laughs> multi birds, like not. Mm-hmm. You know, why stop at three? Come on! Yes. Why what limit you, yourself? What are you giving up? Come on! Let's <laughs> <laughs> really push the boundaries, and then also have this huge pie that's going to have doves fly out of it when you cut into it. Yeah. Oh my goodness! You know, <laughs> <laughs> people get up to some interesting things. Yeah. They- that's for sure. <laughs> like I say, sometimes they didn't have Netflix. You know, they had to make their own fun. That's true. There was no Mighty Ducks for them. <laughs> no. Not yet. <laughs> oh, goodness. Oh, this has been an interesting one for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Another one for the books. <laughs> hmm hmm um, And I, I apologize to anyone who is really looking forward to a deep dive into uh, duck biology and mating practices. Um, mm-hmm. I I ultimately decided that this is not the show for that. Um, <laughs> yes, we discussed it. Uh-huh. We wanted to get into some things, but we have to make some choices, some tough choices sometimes here. Yeah. <laughs> those, those, hard, those hard editorial choices, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, well, many, many an other science show um, has has devoted time and energy to that. If you care to look into uh, duck mating practices. Yes. And as we often say to the editor of our ads, <laughs> thank you and we're sorry. Because <laughs> I don't know if you're going to be happy if you looked into it, but you might be. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I could resist a, call, a duck call like this. Hey, <laughs> it's <laughs> <laughs> it might it might really fit the bill. Oh, puns puns galore! <laughs> it yeah. is early, as we said. Everyone, we don't normally record this early. Yeah, yeah. I think this is the earliest that we've possibly ever recorded. <laughs> Yes, it might very well be, so please excuse. Oh, you know what? No. Thank you, and we're sorry. And we're sorry. Once again. That- <laughs> <laughs> All right, I think we should call it. I think that's what we have to say about ducks for now. That That is what we have to say about ducks. Um, We do have some listener mail for you. We do, but first we have one more quick break for a word from our sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Westholm. I'm a person who doesn't really cook with a lot of meat, to be honest, because when I do, I want it to be special. I'm the same, and I do love sharing that food with people. And I have to say, we received some product, some steak, (laughs) Mm -hmm. and I am very eager to share it with my friends. Yeah, uh, West Holm sent us uh, a few of their products, and they included these gorgeous, gigantic tomahawk steaks that I, like, opened the box and immediately sent a picture to my best grilling friend, like, hang out soon. Yes, I did too. <laughs> 
Westholm offers these beautifully marbled stakes because they have 16 million acres of rangeland across the northeast corner of Australia from Brisbane to Darwin. They use a nature-led approach with the belief that if they balance the needs of their cattle with the needs of their environment, both can thrive. Their cattle graze on native grasses like Mitchell grass, which is found only in Australia, and roam wild, foraging at will for the first two to three years of their lives. The result is Wagyu beef that reflects the terroir of northern Australia, and a quality that would complement whatever you're into cooking right now. Westholm believes that when nature leads, flavor follows. Learn more at westholm.com slash savor. That's W-E-S-T-H-O-L-M-E dot com slash savor. Today's episode is brought to you by Discover Puerto Rico. We've talked in a bunch of different episodes about facets of Puerto Rican cuisine, um, like the dish mofongo, made of savory, deep-fried mashed plantains studded with some kind of tasty protein, and the creation of the cool, creamy piña colada. But there is so much more there. Um, I've actually never been. You have a tiny bit of experience, don't you? Yes. Unfortunately, it was a very tiny bit of experience. Mm-hmm. I was there for about a day. I'm kicking myself for that now. I remember having delicious rums, delicious drinks. But I want to go back because, yeah, so many episodes we do on here, when we're talking about food from Puerto Rico, I want that. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> it sounds amazing. We're trying to get a savor team trip yeah. together. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> well, I mean, we're, we're trying to get a trip to a lot of places, but this is, yeah. this is really top of the list. Even putting together this ad read made me hungry. I was like, oh, oh, I want to try those things. Yeah, as we've talked about before, there are influences there from African and Spanish and native Taino foodways. The culinary scene sounds amazing, and we want to go. And I'm hungry. No me passport too. is required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. You can learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. What if AI could help your business deliver mission-critical outcomes with speed? With IBM Consulting, your business can design, build, and scale trusted AI using Watson X and modernize the way you work to accelerate real impact. Let's create AI that transforms your business. Learn more at ibm.com consulting. IBM. Let's create. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. back. Thank you, sponsor. Yes, thank you. We're back with the snarl. Duck hunt. Duck hunt. I cannot do any anything near Donald Duck, and I would not ask you to try to do it either. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you. I, yes. I no, I cannot. I cannot as well. Actually, I you know, I haven't tried. Oh, you know, that's true. Right now is not the time. <laughs> 
Probably not. <laughs> but maybe, you know, give it a go later and report yeah, back. We'll do. We'll do. Okay. So we have two listener mail mails about Bob's Burgers today. <laughs> and I just want to thank everyone sincerely who has written in about Bob's Burgers. Yes. It's been a delight. <laughs> you answered the call when we asked. And just thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> um, and Swati who is one of the people who early on recommended that we do uh, Bob's Burgers. And we've read a listener mail from Swati before. We're <laughs> so confused about like, oh, the burger episode. The burger finally. episode. No, not Bob's. Okay. okay. Yes. But Swati wrote another message oh. about this. <laughs> um, refreshed my podcast feed and was so excited to finally see the Bob's Burgers episode. As stated, it has definitely been long awaited. <laughs> so since that was the case, it was an obvious choice to listen to it absolutely immediately. <laughs> However, I am behind on the rest of your episodes, which I have a totally valid reason for. Okay. And the idea of going out of order makes my body break out in metaphorical highs. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> the reason I have been hoarding your episodes for the past couple of months is because at the end of the month, my bank will officially require us to return to the office full time. Oh. Mm. This means that I will have to wake my butt up, take the train, take the subway, and get to work. Now, what am I supposed to do during my hour and a half commute, you might ask? Well, the answer is obviously listen to your podcast. <laughs> so, in anticipation of returning to the office and my long commute, I have decided to save up your episodes. Knowing all of this, I braved the <laughs> metaphorical hives and proceeded to listen to your Bob's Burgers episode. It was such a fun episode, and I don't regret my choice one bit. Oh, <laughs> Yay! We're Yay. very happy to hear when we don't cause regret. <laughs> yes. Yes. Oh, heck. Uh, that's mm -hmm. always the best. That's always the best. Yes. No hives. Also no hives. excellent. Oh, good. Um. Yes. <laughs> yes. I'm glad you enjoyed it. I hope that hoarding the episodes improves the commute in some yes. small podcast way. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Oh, getting back to the office. Hoof. Yeah. Hoof. Oof, indeed. Good. Good luck. We are mm -hmm. we are still enshrined in our in our home offices, um, yes. which are varyingly professional. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Very professional with all my costumes hanging back. Oh yeah, and my cat climbing all over my laptop all the time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, super yeah. super profesh. Um, I think so. Kelsey wrote, "I feel in my heart of hearts that Annie is a gene." and Lauren is a Louise. I offer no evidence. Please watch the show and draw your own conclusions. <laughs> For myself, I wish I were a Louise, but I solidly align with Linda, minus the wine. Bob's Burgers is a balm for the soul, always hilarious and heartwarming in a delightfully chaotic way. If you have a chance, I also recommend the Kristen Shawl, a voice of Louise, episodes of The Bananas podcast, especially her first appearance on the first episode. Ooh. Yeah. Oh, I don't know if I got around to mentioning Kristen Shawl and my love for her in the Bob's Burgers episode, but goodness my gracious, that that woman is just one of my favorite actors. <laughs> I love her. She's <laughs> <And> fantastic. <laughs> so what we do good. in the shadows. <laughs> the TV show, she's now like a pretty regular character, so oh, check that out too. <laughs> yes. Yes, all of her work. She's brilliant in everything. Um, yes. Um, also, I am loving that people are writing in and offering their opinion on who we would be. 
Um, we're going to be reading more of those in coming <laughs> episodes, but I've gotten a lot of genes, I got to say. Um, and I do love how it's kind of written in the way like you would do in an alignment in Dungeons and Dragons. Sure, <laughs> like sure. Like I align with Linda. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> yes. Um, so thanks to both of those listeners for writing. Mm-hmm. If you would like to write to us, you can. Our email is hello at saverpod.com. We are also on social media. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at SaverPod, and we do hope to hear from you. Saver is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, you can visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Thanks, as always, to our super producers, Dylan Fagan and Andrew Howard. Thanks to you for listening, and we hope that lots more good things are coming your way. You wouldn't expect to hear that we're America's third best city for beer like this one. Or home to vibes like this. And this. It might surprise you that we're top 10 for immersive art that's like. Whoa. And. Hmm. Not to mention, we have one of the top zoos in the country. So can a city with the country's best pro soccer team, ranking as a top culinary destination in the world, be in your own backyard? Yes, Columbus. Plan your summer at experiencecolumbus.com slash summer. Hello, iHeart listener. We have a confession to make. Both iHeart and this commercial you're listening to right now would probably sound a heck of a lot better on the new Roku Pro Series TV. It's got side-firing speakers that fill your room with sound, Dolby Atmos audio that puts you right in the middle of the entertainment, and the ability to pair seamlessly with your home theater sound systems that already have surround sound and booming bass. If all that sounds too good to be true, it'll sound even better on the new Roku Pro Series. Your hearing isn't better. Your TV is. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Life in our modern age comes at you pretty fast, which makes our time away especially valuable. When I take time to relax, I like to get far from my everyday life, immerse myself in natural beauty, and have unique experiences. But you don't have to leave the U.S. to experience tropical rainforests and islands filled with adventure, warm culture, and national treasures. Visit Puerto Rico, an island with a vibrant spirit that will sweep you away. Because when you visit, you don't become part of the island, it becomes part of you. In Puerto Rico, you can forget where you came from and embrace where you are. Puerto Rico, where visits end, but stories last forever. No passport required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com.